demand was so urgent and the fire was so hot. The flames killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God. There is another in the fire. There is another in the flood. Whatever we are walking through, we are not alone. Let's go to the Lord this morning. Father God, I come to you and I just thank you and praise you that you are with us. Wherever we go and whatever we go through, we are never alone. We claim your power and your presence that you promise us in your word. We ask that you would remind us that we would never forget that you are always with us. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of our message today is How to Be in Charge of the Church. Some of you are probably very excited and others very afraid. You really... Do or really don't want to hear this, but I hope that all of us will come away understanding something different, something greater and deeper about being in charge as far as what it means in God's kingdom. I I never really thought much about the term in charge, really, until I um, came to be part of this church and part of this denomination. And Presbyteries, uh, as you may or may not know, are made up of representatives, elders from the church, and then ministers from the church, or ministers in that area. And so, on the role of ministers in any presbytery, there are pastors who are currently serving churches, and there are pastors who are not. And they put it a little bit different way. They'll say pastors without charge, or pastors who are in charge of a particular church. And I remember when I realized that, thought about that terminology several years ago, coming into the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, I realized I had never stopped one moment to think about the phrase being in charge and what that really meant. Because the way we commonly think of it, or at least the way I did, was the person in charge, the man in charge or the woman in charge, they are the person who is the boss. They are the person who has the power and the authority and the control and, and, you know, they're the head honcho. And so when you come in and say, who's in charge here? You want to know who's the boss? Who's the one with the power? But then I realized that that was not an ultimate power. The person in charge is not a person who has power and authority of themselves. Rather, they are a person who has power and authority delegated to them by a higher authority. And the person who is really the higher authority, who really has all the authority, says, Hey, you get to borrow my authority for a while because you have a great responsibility that I'm giving you to carry out. 
I think about the old show, Charles in Charge. I don't know if any of y'all remember that show. Scott Bayo was on that show. Some of y'all uh, remember him from his happy days. And, ooh, Chachi, you know. And, and some of you think he was great. And then uh, he's gone on and been on reality shows this, since then. But Charles in Charge, basically... <laughs> Pretty crazy idea. Uh, a college student, for some reason, I don't remember the details, but he has to all of a sudden start raising these kids. I don't remember what happened to the parents, why they're gone. He's not their parent. He's not a real adult. But all of a sudden, this college kid is given the charge. He's given the responsibility or the duty of, of raising children. That authority was not his own. It was delegated to him. It was given to him. And when we look at the Bible, we see that God has delegated. He has charged us with very specific responsibilities. And this morning, as we answer the question, how to be in charge, what we are really asking is, how do I take what God has given to me, that responsibility, and how do I carry it out in a way that honors him? Because that's really what it's all about. Being in charge is not being in control. Being in charge means it's about carrying out a great, great weight or a great responsibility. In the world, we miss that. The idea is, in God's word, he says, hey, whoever's going to be greatest will be servant of all. And it's like in the world, we, we tried to grasp that. In some countries, their leader, rather than being a president, is the prime minister. In other words, translated, minister being servant, prime being number one, that man or that woman should be the number one servant that serves his or her country in a greater way than anyone else. And yet we forget those original connotations and we simply see words like being in charge or being a prime minister as, oh, that's the person with all the power. When in reality, the emphasis behind those terms is the responsibility that we have to carry out a duty. So this morning, I want us to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, the charge that Paul gave to Timothy. And I want us to consider how we should respond to the charge that each of us have. If you would please stand with me as we read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let us pray. Father God, help us now to understand what it is that you want us to understand about the charge that you give each of us as believers. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Timothy was being given a grand charge by the Apostle Paul. And so some of you may look at this and say, well, that's rather interesting. That's, that's good to know that historical little tidbit. Uh, but, you know, I'm no Timothy. And, and the Apostle Paul isn't here. So what does his charge, Paul's charge to Timothy, have to do with me? Well, the reality is, is that you do not have the same charge as Timothy did. Neither do I, actually. I mean, he wasn't actually just a pastor, so to speak. The closest thing I could describe him as is a second-generation apostle. Uh, he wasn't just in, in one church, but he was going around and ministering to different churches and not, not just preaching there, but uh, working and, and coordinating and arranging. Paul had told him to, to appoint elders in churches, to, to set up things, to correct things. He had this enormous responsibility, and so his responsibility was not exactly the same as ours, and yet it was very similar. While the Bible may tell us of very specific callings that apostles or pastors, evangelists, or teachers or preachers have, the Bible also speaks, even more often, of a great calling that all of us as believers have. We have all been called, we have all been charged to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have all been charged to be faithful. You see, the moment we focus often on the fact that when we become a Christian, that we enter into God's family, and that is so true. But there is a second and equal truth is we not only enter into God's family, we enter into God's army. We enter into God's kingdom. We are his servants. And God has a high and holy calling for each of us. How are we to carry out this charge? How are we to be in charge? Number one, we have to recognize that it's a sacred charge. Paul pulls out all the big guns here. It's like he, he's at the end of the letter, and he wants to make sure that Timothy understands this isn't some passing comment. He's not chasing a rabbit here. This is vital stuff. So he says, in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. He says, this is like, swear on a Bible, Timothy. This is like, make an oath before God. This is like, hey, remember God and his son, Jesus Christ. Remember that one day he's coming again. Remember that he is the judge of all people. By the way, the Bible speaks a lot about Jesus being the judge. And we forget that. We erase that from our mental picture of Jesus because we like this kinder, gentler Jesus. And Jesus certainly was loving and compassionate. But the Bible clearly says that Jesus will be our judge. We will all stand before him one day. And so we need to understand that this is... This is no extra credit type assignment here, okay? This is no optional activity for extra special Christians. But that all of us, just like Timothy, have a responsibility to God, 
He is our Lord, He is our Savior, He is our Master, and He is our Judge. And so this is a sacred responsibility. This isn't something that we can compartmentalize and say, well, Christianity is an important part of my life. No, God is our life. His service, His things, that is our life. And everything that we do in this life, whether it be work or rest or play, all of it should be honoring to God. We have a sacred responsibility. Secondly, we need to refuse to be unfaithful. If we see, okay, we have a charge that is given to us, that charge is not, hey, let me give you some power, some authority for you to go out and do whatever you want. That's not the idea of being in charge. Being in charge means I'm giving you power and authority so that you may take it and you may fulfill my wishes. Jesus often talked about this. He told multiple parables that, that would remind us the fact that we are in charge for a while. We have a job. And he told parables about a king giving his servants some responsibilities and then going on a long journey and traveling far away. And how some of those servants were faithful, but some were unfaithful. Some squandered or ignored their responsibilities and there was a day coming when he was going to come back, and they would have to answer for what they had done. And that is a picture of us, that there is a day ahead, that all of us have to answer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you going to be faithful or not? We can be unfaithful in a lot of different ways. It's easy. Number one is compromise. To say, say, oh, yes, I'm going to go on doing, serving, loving the Lord, except for these little areas where it's kind of uncomfortable. Maybe it's not politically correct. Maybe society doesn't agree with that part of God's word anymore. So I'm just going to forget about that part of my duties towards God and my beliefs. And I'm just going to go with the flow of society. So nothing new. Paul said it way back then. He said there's folks out there that cannot stand sound doctrine. They cannot stand the truth. Instead, he called them having itching ears. Don't you hate to itch? I mean, itching is a terrible thing. Sometimes it's because you can't reach that place to itch it, you know, something right between your shoulder blades and you, you have to get up against the post or corner or something. But other times, you know, there's an itch and you just can't scratch because you're in public. <laughs> I need to itch, but I cannot scratch that itch. Because when we got an itch, we want to scratch it, right? And the Bible says that these folks have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear what's right. They just want someone to confirm what they already believe or what they want to believe. And that's all they'll listen to. And Paul said, those kind of folks with itching ears are going to surround themselves with false prophets. They're going to surround themselves with people who will preach health and wealth and prosperity or pre people who will preach just do whatever, uh, you know, society says. With people who will say, hey, you know, do whatever you want in your sexual behavior. It's fine. God's love and just do anything and everything you want to do. Itching ears call for those kind of teachings. Itching ears just want to reinforce what they want to believe. And so it's so easy for us to compromise and to go along with the crowd and say and do what everyone else says or does. But we need to refuse to be unfaithful 
by compromise. And we need to refuse to be unfaithful by laziness. When Jesus talked about uh, these, these servants, he would talk about lazy servants. who They were servants. They said, yes, he's our master, he's our Lord. They talked big, but they didn't do anything. It was all talk and no action. And all of us are confronted by the, that tendency or that temptation to be lazy in the service of God. There's also apathy. Simply just going along and, you know, I'm here for the ride, not really caring. This is like an, a laziness of the mind, an, emotion, a, a, an intellectual laziness. I don't really need to know any more about the Bible. I don't need to dig deep and learn. I don't need to spend time in the Word. I mean, hey, I went to Sunday school. I've learned a lot of things along the way. And we get complacent and apathetic. And we just have this lackadaisical attitude. Eh, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm better than most. And it's another form of unfaithfulness. Certainly, idolatry is unfaithfulness. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets thundered, thus saith the Lord, and they would rebuke those who committed idolatry. And we read those passages and we say, oh, how quaint. Those silly and stupid ancient people who set up a stone or gold or wood idol in their house and committed idolatry. <laughs> Isn't it so good that we're beyond all that now? We pat ourselves on the back. And yet the New Testament tells us that idolatry goes far beyond simply a physical object that we pray to. But idolatry is anything that comes between us and God. And so the love of money is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. All sorts of things that we put in our lives, maybe our politics become our idolatry. Some of us, when it comes down to a question of what does my party believe or my candidate believe and what does Jesus say, we won't actually go out there and say, oh, my politics are more important than my Jesus. We'll just pretend that Jesus completely agrees with our party. That's idolatry. You know, there's all sorts of forms of idolatry that we can have. The American dream, the money, the stuff, the power. And there's many more ways, but those are just some of the ways that we can be unfaithful to Christ in the charge he gives us. And God says, do not become unfaithful to me. Keep on fighting that fight. Recognize your charge, refuse to be unfaithful, and finally, remember the day. Remember the day that is coming. So often, just like folks that have one name, one, one word. We don't have to do their first or last name. Might be Madonna, might be LeBron, might be whoever. And we just hear that one name, and we don't even have to specify further. In a very similar way, the authors of the New Testament would often not write out the full judgment day or the day of Christ's return. They would often just say, remember the day. Capital D, day. And that's exactly what Paul has done. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You see, there's lots of days on our calendar, but there's only one capital D 
day. And that is the day that you and I stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in fact, the Bible says that all men and all women, we will all stand before him. We will all give an account of our lives, of every idle word and deed. We will all give an account for our service to him. What's waiting for you on that day? What do you expect? Do you expect God to wink at your sin? Do you expect God to just shrug off when you haven't been faithful to him? God is too honest to do that. We know that we stand with an entry to heaven because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We already possess eternal life. Those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and trusted him in our hearts. But this is a day we will stand before him believers, and there's, there's a whole other set of circumstances for unbelievers where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. But even for those of us who are believers, this is not a judgment about whether we're going to heaven and hell. Rather, it is an accounting of our lives and our actions on this earth. And how's that going to come out? It's not about perfection. Paul didn't talk about perfection. But he did talk about faithfulness. Listen to the words he said. In verse, beginning in verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's an Old Testament reference. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, Paul said, I wasn't perfect, but I've done my very best to be faithful. I've kept on believing, loving, fighting for God's kingdom despite all the obstacles and odds against me. And now I am looking forward to that day. I want to ask you a very personal question this morning, a very specific question. Do you long for that day? I mean, do you, in your heart of hearts, say, I cannot wait? This is a very different question than the, than the question that is often asked in evangelism, and that is, well, do you know if you were to die today or tonight, would you go to heaven? In other words, have you taken care of that eventual reality so that you don't have to worry about what happens when you die? That's a good question, but this is a completely different question. Do you actually long for that day? Do you actually eagerly await the presence and seeing your Lord and Savior face to face? It's a very different question. Because while there are many believers who would say, I'm not afraid of dying because I know I'm going to heaven, there are far fewer that can honestly say, I await, I long for the day when I see Jesus. It's kind of sort of, well, you know, after I've graduated maybe, or after I've gotten married, or maybe after I've had kids, or maybe after they're grown, or maybe after they're, I've, my grandkids are grown, or maybe after I've established myself in career, yeah, I'll be fine then to go on to see Jesus. As if, as if, as if, Somehow meeting our Lord and Savior is a consolation prize after we've done the good stuff in life. Paul couldn't wait to see Jesus. 
In fact, in another passage, he talked about, oh, how I long to see Jesus. I long to let go of this life and be face to face. Being with him is far better, Paul said. But for your sakes, I'm going to stick around and, and stay around for a little bit longer. But man, I can't wait to see Jesus. Because here's the thing that Paul said about the honor and the reward. You know, the whole good faith, good job, good and faithful servant, well done. That whole deal doesn't come to every believer. Every believer will not hear those words. Paul says this, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He said there is a reward. There is an honor. There is a recognition coming one day to believers who stand in front of Christ. But it's not those who've checked the boxes of, I've attended, I tithe, I brought my Bible, I went to Sunday school. It's not just those who went through the motions of Christianity. It's not just those who said, well, I want to keep from going to hell, so I'm going to get saved. So one day I know I'm with him. He said, no, for those who will receive the crown of righteousness, that is reserved for those who don't just halfway do it, who just go with the flow. That is reserved, though, for those who long to see Jesus. And let me just go ahead and clear one thing up. Longing to see Jesus does not mean you sit back and do nothing because, oh, this world is so evil, and I'm just going to hide myself off somewhere and, and not be tainted by all this evil and wait till Jesus comes back. Longing for the appearance of Jesus means I want to be about his business every day. In everything I do, he's put me in charge, in a sacred responsibility. And so I want to do all that I can to honor him with my life. Because I can't wait to see him that day. I know it's not about perfection because none of us are. And, and I know that, that his grace is going to be involved Without it, I'd be nothing. But I know that I want to see Jesus because I can't wait to see my Savior, to see the one who bled and died for me. And I hope to have lived my life in a way that he'll say, well done. In a way that he'll look at me and say, here's that crown of righteousness because you longed to see me. Would you pray with me? Father God, You have put us in charge of your work. You could have left a multitude of angels here on this earth to carry out your work. But instead, you left it in mortal hands. You left with us the responsibility to carry out the work of your kingdom, even as we can only do so empowered by your Spirit. And you've called on us to be faithful to the charge that you've given us, the high calling of being one of your children. Lord, may we be faithful to that charge. God, may you forgive us. May we repent where we've been unfaithful or apathetic. God, may we recognize you've given us something that is so special. It's too special to waste. And the time is short. And the day is coming that we'll stand before you. God, call us to that day. Remind us of that day. And may we eagerly desire that day 
that we see you. Father, in this time that we have to respond to you now, as we sing our song of commitment, Lord, help us to truly draw close to you. Whatever you've been calling us to do, God, may we get things right with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.